Welcome to another episode of the Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 93 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of three allegedly semi-intelligent guys, although we have one on here today that actually is intelligent, so I guess that doesn't hold true, discussing our passion for Linux. And today we have Michael with us. Michael, how have you been this week? I've been really good, pretty hectic. Not as hectic as some people, but pretty hectic. And Noah, welcome, sir. I'm doing great. How are you? We are doing awesome, and it is amazing to have you on the show. It's been a little while since we've spoke to you. The last time we were at Southeast Linux Fest, having an absolute blast with you, and we actually got to join the, uh, you got to join our show, and we got to see you producing Ask Noah Show Live, as well as saving everybody there with their tech questions and issues. So that was awesome to see. And we've had you on the show in the past for full interviews before, back on episode 74. But today you're co-hosting because our friend Zeb is having a holiday. So he gets a holiday. We get to be here with our patrons. So it's a pretty good deal. So since Southeast Linux Fest, what have you been up to, my friend? First of all, I just want to say thanks for having me. It's a blast to be here. It's a fan. I, I've, I've always had a passion for doing Linux video. And so it's kind of fun to be back doing video on Linux and, and doing a show with video on Linux. I think that's really cool. And I think you guys are doing a great job, um, as I told you back at Southeast Linux Fest. So since the time that you and I got together, and Michael was there too at Self, um, I've actually gotten an official position with the Self crew. So I'm going to be in charge of media this year. Yeah, nice. we're going to do some really great things with Linux and broadcasting on Linux and all of those cool things. And yeah. uh, we're approaching the 100th episode of the Ask Noah show. So we're going to have a a large celebration. Sounds like it's going to be uh, probably November 7th, so the day after the election. And uh, we're going to be having some fun, uh, having a big party in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So to celebrate the 100th episode of the Ask Noah show. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, I don't typically watch a ton or listen to a ton of podcasts. Mm -hmm. Yours is one has always been on my list. I listen to it every single week. I still, to this day, am shocked that you can answer as many questions as you can off the top of your head. I'm sure you get that a lot, but that is always one of the most impressive things. So if people don't know or haven't seen it, Ask Noah Show does tech uh, discussions live, will answer questions live, somehow has most, almost 99.9% of the answers off the top of your head and uh, helps people get their stuff set up. Linux first, everything else second. That's how it goes. So uh, definitely check that out. Michael, what have you been up to this week, sir? Well, I've been uh, working on some videos and uh, setting up some new uh, set scenes for the show, for the Destination Linux show. But also, I made a video, like a release video for Lubuntu 18.10. So if you can go check that out if you want to. Uh, it's, it's basically just like, here's, the, here's what's new about the Lubuntu 18.10. And we'll get to it more like, in depth later in the show. But basically, there's a, a ton of stuff different. So... That's awesome that you're contributing to that project. We love Simon and everything him and the team over there do with Lubuntu, so that's awesome. We also have an email from one of our listeners this week, Michael, that I wanted you to cover. Make sure to include all the parts where he talks about how awesome I am as well. Okay. So never. That didn't happen. (laughs) Um, Darn it. says, hey guys, I love your podcast, and I thought I'd share share with you one of the ways I use Linux that has really helped me. Uh, I manage IT for two health departments, around 150 employees, and they used to get their internet and Active Directory from a government-run managed service provider. That sounds fun. Yeah. It says it's extremely slow and expensive, and we 
we just jumped shipped and found another internet provider, but they, this left the question, what do we do about the Active Directory? So they could have set one up themselves, but they said, decided to, uh, instead of uh, spending all this money to about to do, basically they said instead of spending a bunch of money for taxpayers' money for Windows servers and licensings and stuff like that, they decided to use Ubuntu server and Samba to re-implement an Active, Active Directory. Uh, so like basically to make, create their own structure after Active Directory. And it says that he says that it worked flawlessly, and it made it made him look like a hero. <laughs> so that's awesome. Uh, it says keep up the great work, and I really enjoy your friendly banter. It really makes the show what it is. And also, Michael is great at this podcast, and all the what? editing no, is amazing. No, that's not in there. You're, you're ad libbing. <laughs> what? We don't do that on this show, Michael. That oh. is ridiculous. I read it. I mean, I might have wrote it, but I read it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> So, Greg, that is an awesome email. It's awesome for multiple reasons. Number one, as you get to learn Linux, like me, you know, I'm, I'm newer into Linux, but I've been able to introduce it into companies where I wouldn't have had that opportunity before. And because of the low cost and also the awesome uh, features that Linux has and the stability, when you do get somebody to buy on the concept, you do get to look like a hero because all of a sudden the servers have more uptime, things work better than they should, and you save the company a ton of money. So I really love this email because he gave us an example of how he, he used it in work, in a working environment, and was able to leverage it uh, in his employment. And that helped spread the love and word of Linux as well. So I think that's just awesome. Yeah. Really shows the power of community too, right? Like you guys are out here, you're doing this show, you're providing a service to the community, and then a community member who supports you and your show downloads that show and gets information that helps help him at his day job. And so it's the community scratching one back to get, you know, their batch back scratch. It's that, that given that take relationship, which is what's so cool yeah. and powerful about the community of Linux. Yeah, exactly. That open source philosophy that spreads around through not only just code, but even like the camaraderie and the social aspects of it as well. Yep. Very true. Speaking of love, we have a happy birthday to celebrate here. And Michael, I know you're going to be happy about this one. So, happy birthday, KDE. Do you see what I did there with the K? Come on. I assume it's, it's spelled, it's spelled this basically genius. the same and just add a K at the front. <laughs> That's pure <laughs> genius. Yeah. Uh, so, as of October 14th, KDE celebrates its 22nd anniversary in there. So, Michael, I wanted to do a challenge because we know how much of a fan. We know how much you've contributed to this. I wanted to do a challenge and find out. Now I can challenge you as well, Noah, that there was an article I found of 11 KDE applications that most people do not know exist. So I'm going to read this list off and then you guys tell me out of this list, how many have you actually used or heard of before here? Are we ready? Yep. Okay. We've got KT Time. All right. KTUX. Blinken. Oh. Michael Have didn't not, know that one. Teleco. I, I didn't know either. And K Recipes, K Hangman, K Letters, K Diamond, Color Paint, Kariki, and RSI Break. So Man. six I didn't know, five I did. Wow. Uh, nine and two. I know. Really? Well, that's not surprising. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's, like, the KDE guy knows KDE stuff. Okay, sure. I, I don't think I knew any of them but KTUX. That was the only one I was actually familiar with on this list here. But the, the K they, Recipes is a really good recipe manager. And um, the, the color paint is a nice, it's basically like um, MS Paint if it wasn't terrible. 
so yeah. it but it but it's 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 that kind of style where it's not it's not a layered image editor it's just like the basic here's a touch up way to edit so it's a really quick editor thing um but the kt time is basically just for like you know steeping tea and i converted it into a pomodoro timer and it works pretty good. <laughs> wow. So when I was doing, it's interesting that the, it's interesting that we were, we're talking about this because as I was doing show prep for the show today, I was at a coffee shop and there was so much noise. I decided I needed to listen to some music and I went to install Amarok. And uh, when I, I couldn't remember where to get it or how exactly to spell it and all of that, when I Googled it, I learned today that Amarok was a KDE product and I wasn't aware yeah. of that, that it was a KDE yeah. music player. But yeah, Amarok, it's a great, you know, they, they, I haven't used it in a couple of years, man. It's, you know, they haven't updated it in like three years, but it, it is fantastically better than the last time I used it. And it's got like a nice dark theme now. And yeah, it looks yeah. really they, fantastic. It, it blends in with the regular Breeze theme and stuff. And mm -hmm. also, uh, Clementine is a fork of Amarok. Yeah, I played with and Clementine a little bit. There's also another one called Strawberry, which is a fork of Clementine. <laughs> well, so everybody's just, yeah. Fruit. Wow. Yep. Incredible. So out of these, is there one, because these are, people say these these are not well known. Is there one people should definitely Teleco. check here? Teleco. Really I, not KTUX? Uh, KTUX is it's nice for uh, screensavers. I don't use screensavers. I haven't, mm. like, I, there's no reason, I don't think there's a reason to use a screensaver for like years. Uh, so yeah. I guess if, if somebody wants to, then okay, sure. Uh, but I think Teleco and RSI Break are the ones that are the best. Uh, Teleco is a collection manager, so you can like take, keep track of like the movies you have or and movies you've watched, stuff like that, or like the books you own and, you know, things all just basically like that kind it's of for hobby structure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But RSI break is probably the most useful in this list. Uh, maybe the recipe one too, but the, the RSI break is basically the, it's the, the, it's, it's essentially like you can set a timer to say, you don't allow me to use my computer for a certain, after certain amount of time after this <laughs> amount of time. So like, That'd be good for kids and things, right? You get your kids set up on a computer. You want them to limit the time there. Yeah, it'll pop of up course, a message. A I want. I, I'm so proud every time my son's playing on his <laughs> computer, his well, Raspbian laptop. Well, this is more for a product productivity thing. It's like, or like you know, a timer to like remember to stand up or kind of thing like that. Yeah. You know? yeah. But it's it's more it's, it's that's kind of like the repetitive uh, stress issue, and that's not what RSI means, but that's basically what the the thing is. And it's a really useful tool that I have been using for a while a while, and it's it's a it's nice because you, even though it'll force your computer to not work anymore, you can just click a little button and say, "Let me work now." So it's not it was I was with you right until you said it'll force your computer not to work anymore. Yeah, I, I kind of had a face twitch thing. Yeah, it just it just makes your 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 screen kind of like go into like this like uh, like grayscale mode uh, okay, and like gotcha. there's a button so that nothing will no nothing will update to you until you click a button to like it's just kind of like to just so you're not constantly sitting at a computer all day like I normally am. Well, my view on KDE is this. I am very happy for their 22nd anniversary. I can't wait for 22 more years of KDE. While I am not somebody who uses KDE every single day, although I say that and I'm in KDE right now, uh, I, I have other desktop environments that I love. What the KDE team brings, the applications that they build, the push forward that they do for Linux across the board is really absolutely unmatched, I think, by anybody. Nobody, in my mind, pushes Linux as far and as fast, sometimes with bugs, as KDE does, uh, <laughs> such as KDE Connect and things like that. So I absolutely love everything they and the crew do over there. And we've got some trivia items here listed as well, Michael. Uh, any of these interesting to you? I think the the fact that they they you know within 
just 19 months, it says like just in 19 months that they had reached a million commits on the project. And that that a million commits is insane in general, but to add, to do that all in just less than two years is, is really astonishing. And, uh, the, the other thing is that, um, the mascot for a lot of people don't even know that Katie has a mascot named Conky. I didn't know that Conky has a girlfriend named Katie. Wow. Look at that. There you go. Conky has a girlfriend there. And one person's dream turned into 15 developers working on Katie in Germany back in 1997. So the first stable release came in 1998, according to some facts that I could find there, uh, which is pretty awesome as well. And they launched the first KDE Women in 2001 to increase the number of women in free software communities, which is also awesome. So they do a lot of great work out there. And thank you guys for everything and happy birthday. What else do we have in the news, Noah? Arco 1810 released. Our friend Eric Dubois, the lead developer of Arco Linux, has released this week 1810. Arco Linux remains one of the top choices for Arch-based Linux distros, easy to use, and provides a ton of learning experience to advance your knowledge in Linux and gain more experience to learn, have fun, and enjoy. That's their motto. I think stuff like this is very important, right? Because when you get to like the Gentoo's, and the arches of the world, like that's what really moves the needle forward because people start to understand the technology. The article goes on to say, if you enjoy ArcoLinux.com, you'll enjoy going through the phases where you start with a full-blown ISO and desktop configured by Eric and his team. Then eventually the user can make his way into building his or her own minimal or bare ISO. So that takes the right approach, right? Because I've seen that myself. I've seen a number of people sit down, they say, I'm gonna use Arch Linux how do I use Arch Linux? You know, <laughs> say, I'm going to use Gentoo. How do I use Gentoo? And they, they, they don't, they don't know because there's a lot there. And so to be able to start with something basic and then have it hold your hand a little bit, and then you grow into, well, I have this preference and I want to use this file manager and not that. And I want to use this web browser and not that one. Yep. And you can kind of start to tailor your own Linux environment. I think that's really fantastic. Eric is really unique. When we had him on the show, he kind of explained and it made so much sense that he was an educator by trade. So when you go through Arco Linux, it's set up in a a way that somebody would set up, say, a college course. You've got basically, here's the desktop fully set up. I've configured everything for you. Get in there and learn and love Linux. And he makes that very easy. Then there's all of these options there that you can go on and build upon so that you're constantly learning. And a little tidbit here, uh, everybody, you know, we make the joke about me being the i3 prodigy. The only reason I can use i3 at all, and the only reason I stuck with it is because I started first with Eric's i3 configuration, which I think is the greatest i3 configuration out there, period, bar none. And then I started making edits and tweaks to it and learning i3 to the point where I could use it now. And if it wasn't for him, I would have never been able to explore and, you know, do well with i3. I probably would have got frustrated. I don't understand config files and moved on. So he just has an incredible way. He does tons of videos out there on YouTube demonstrating Arco Linux and its capabilities. Um, One of the things that they added in 18.10.2, which I thought was really unique that he did a video on, was touchscreen functionality in there. Mm -hmm. So he added that touchscreen functionality and he's demoing that in there. So he's doing a lot of little Mm -hmm. tweaks and software package improvements. It's a rolling distro. So, you know, when they do releases, you don't get this huge thing because they're constantly updating anyways. But there's enough there that this is one of my favorite distros of all time. It's always been in my top five. I love everything Eric does. And definitely, if you're interested in an Arch-based distro, 
this is a great way to learn. Or if yeah. you're interested in getting started with Linux, right? Yep. Good point. Absolutely. I mean, getting started with like the underlying stuff of Linux because it's, right, it's right. still yeah. it's still it's not really intended to like to absolutely everybody because mm -hmm. there's still like a lot of custom stuff that they want. Like, it's more of an educational thing if you want to learn how it all works and stuff like that. I think this is one of those like one of those distros that is, that is a perfect option for like starting at a at a base level for using it and then learning how to sure. to implement stuff like that. Um, I would like to point out that. Uh, they do. They do let make a lot of great information on their website, but there's the websites are kind of c confusing because there's multiple different websites. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they need to consolidate that, and it'd be a lot better experience. But overall, I think Arco is quite quite good, and I've been I've, I've been using it on the my stream machine with i3 on there for a couple like a month or so now. So really, yeah. was that just to try it out, or was there some sort of productivity reason for that? I did it for a productivity. I wanted it to be like the lightest possible. Um, gotcha. So I used i3 for that, and that way it's basically doing nothing except running OBS and then pulling in the feed for the games. And what's awesome. neat about doing that is i3, if you go install i3 right now and switch to it in your login manager, like in an Ubuntu base, you go install i3wm and then you switch to it, you're going to get nothing. You're going to be staring at right. a blank screen with a little dial in the middle. It'll prompt you, do you want to use this configuration? And then it just sits you there. There's nothing. Well, he sets up Conky on the side so it actually has shortcut keys mm -hmm. listed there so when you're staring at the wallpaper you can actually okay now i hit control d now yeah. i know it's a menu and blah 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 so you start learning about all of this stuff there as you're using it and it's a fantastic way if you're afraid of arch if you're afraid of i3 open box or any of the other variations he has his configurations are primo and it's a great way to get in there and you can get started right away and then you can tweak as you go and learn more about it yeah. so. the first time i started using i3 was not not through arco linux but it was through um it was a debian based setup and it is you once you if you've never used our i3 before there's absolutely no help whatsoever in the interface <laughs> And there's well, no menus or anything. There's like you have to install the menus and stuff like that. So it's like yeah. you have to just. And here's here's what's funny yourself. about it. Like what most of us geeks do when we run into a problem is we Google something, right? Yeah. Well, how do you Google something if you can't get Firefox or Chrome open and you don't <laughs> know how to do that? If you, it's it's a vicious circle. So you have to have, yep. basically you have to have a second machine there. I had a laptop what I did ready was to go for it. Yeah, I restarted, went back into a normal window manager, launched it, went. <laughs> How do I actually use this? <laughs> Figure that out, and then went and logged back into to i3. But but here's the thing: I submit to anybody who's not tried a tiling window manager. If you need a computer that you absolutely have to get work done quickly, there is nothing better. I've got yeah. my workstation runs i3. Wouldn't trade it for the world because it is the most it is the most productive place for me to get work done, bar none. Yep, it's powerful. It's so powerful. Yeah. I absolutely fell in love with it. I really so, like tiling window managers as well. Um, that's why you should use Plasma and tile inside of Plasma. No. Way too, that's way more difficult than even learning i3. Okay, and arguably that, occupies more system resources than yeah, i3 That's would. not... Okay, anyway, so moving on. <laughs> I love that I have backup. <laughs> so the, the, the next topic in the show is the, the release next week is coming, the imminent release of Linux kernel 4.19. And the, the Linux yeah. kernel has got a lot of cool things that Ryan understands better than me, but a couple <laughs> things I'm going to talk about. Uh, they've added new protocol for Wi-Fi. They support for 802.11ax, uh, which is the, like, brand, I'm thinking that's just came out of draft or whatever really recently. Uh, mm -hmm. they've added I don't new, even think it's ra it's a ratified RFC standard yet, is it? it might, I think it is, but it might I might be wrong. It might still be in draft. 
Um, but they've uh, they've also added some more specter mitigations because who doesn't love mitigations for a thing that never goes away? Um, so anyway, uh, Ryan, what are the hardware things that I totally understand and can just list off? For well, you, I'll just list them out for yeah, you. Yeah, thanks, thanks. You know, yes, you know appreciate them. that. It's just more of a challenge for me. Yeah. No. They're so easy, even Ryan understands them. <laughs> That's right. That's how you go. Wait a minute. What happened? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think this is really neat because here's the thing. I've heard people say, you know, on my channel, I've run the latest and greatest hardware from NVIDIA, from AMD, from Intel, across the board, the latest stuff on Linux. Because I got frustrated. I've told this story before when I started Linux. Every video was, hey, look at this 1980 laptop I revived. I'm like, well, how does Linux run on the latest stuff? So that's where I, I did a lot of my channel stuff. What I love about looking at these Linux kernels here, these latest kernels, is all of the um, work that is going into the cutting edge uh, pieces of equipment, hardware that is yet to come out or has just come out. And now we have support from it right out of the gate, such as the support for Intel Ice Lake graphics, which are their Gen 11 graphics uh, GPUs that they're putting in there. They're also going to have CPUs coming out as well in that line. So they already have code in there that is that is going to support these devices on day one on that kernel. You've got AMD Raven Ridge APU improvements, where now they're putting things like PowerPlay in place. So a lot of people complain about, well, if I use my AMD GPU or my NVIDIA GPU, I don't have all the same settings I'd have, say, in Windows that I do in Linux, such as, you know, power saving and that type of stuff. Well, PowerPlay adds that those features in to the kernel now. So now you'll have the ability for energy consumption and things like that to have that if you're on a laptop, for instance, where you're going to go on battery and you need that extra uh, energy not to be utilized by the GPU. Um, you've got Spectre mitigations in here, and this one's really cool. This is the Creative Recon 3D sound card support. So as I understand it, I've not done a ton of research on the Creative Recon 3D, but as I understand it, this is a professional-grade sound card that they've brought out here that Creative Labs, which people haven't heard about for at least, it hasn't been on my radar for a while because most of us just use whatever the motherboard has as a sound interface or you have an external DAC or amp or something like that. Um, but Creative Labs used to be kind of the creme of the creme. Did they make sound devices. blasters? Exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. they made yeah. the sound blaster line. I thought they didn't exist anymore. <laughs> so, so the Recon 3D is a $300 USB external sound enhancer that okay. has all the bells and whistles and things that you can imagine. It's got a lot of great reviews out there for it. Um, but whether you want that piece of hardware or not, the cool thing is it's supported right out of the Linux kernel. That's what's amazing. That all awesome. of this latest and greatest hardware. So I'm excited every time I read these release notes for 4.19 to see all the new things. And a lot of times it's Intel and AMD really making the headway with support there. Very nice. Like yep. I, especially Intel and AMD because of the whole open source approach that they do. And uh, the, in, the isn't the uh, the Gen nine is the current one that's about to release, right? So like Gen ten and ten and eleven are being supported, and they don't even exist yet. Uh, I think Gen ten, there may be some Gen tens out there right now. Gen eleven will be the latest one, but everything prior, well, up to a certain point in years, would be supported right now in the four point one eight. Nice. Yep. So. The other thing that's cool is since we're talking about hardware, which gets me excited, Linux versus Windows benchmarks. Naturally. Now, I'm going to ask you guys a question here. Pharonix, our friends at Pharonix, he does some of the best benchmarking out there for system performance. I mean, it's the most trustworthy site you can go to to do benchmarks. I use his suite when I'm testing my hardware as well because it's out there. Anybody can download it and run it. 
Uh, he did a recent Windows 10 versus 7 Linux distros challenge using the same hardware. He used an Intel Core i7-8086, an MSI motherboard, 16 gigs of DDR4, NVMe SSD, and the RX 580 graphics card. What do you think? How, how, what percentage do you think Windows beat? Because we always hear Windows is faster. Windows is better support sometimes for the hardware manufacturer, not because Linux is bad, but manufacturers tend to support Windows mm -hmm. out of the box. Mm -hmm. Who, how many, what percentage do you think Windows beat Linux in this? I'll, I'll bet you it lost by 20%. Wow. No kidding. I, I'm going to say, depending on the, I'm going to be like the, the very specific person and say, depending on the task, like computational stuff, Linux will win. The gaming stuff, because developers are more likely to, well, pretty much are developing for Windows most of the time, that will win a little bit. Or maybe like well, clearly 30, both of your hearts were in the right place and mine was not because I expected Windows to win a lot of this, at least it to be a pretty close Go rate. home. I know, right? <laughs> um, so I was way wrong. You Windows took the wrong 10 turn at your destination. Only came in first 10% of the time. 10% of the time. And that was mostly in gaming related stuff, to Michael's point. So anything that was Blender, graphics rendering, all of that, Linux stomped Windows 10. When it came to uh, anything gaming wise, uh, Windows tend to perform a little better, but only 10% of the time here in these tests which I thought was interesting. Now, which distro out of the seven, and I'm going to give you the seven distros here, do you think was the fastest distro? Manjaro, a Debian, Ubuntu 18.10, Clear Linux. That's not seven, but that's all I have listed here. Which I'm, one I'm, the going, for I'm going with Debian. Debian, well, interesting. Yeah. I would say Clear Linux because that's the last one you said, and you said it with some emphasis, but... Uh, yeah, I'm just going to go with Clear Linux. It's, yeah, it's so I would have said Arch or one of those derivatives like a Manjaro because they're on rolling distro, usually latest kernel and stuff, but I would have been wrong uh, because it was, in fact, Clear Linux coming in 40% of the wins, Intel's Clear Linux. It has uh, a lot. It's, it's often it's in the top of benchmarks. It's like the fastest boot times always. on record or something like that. Yep. So, yeah. And Debian was second, though. So, Noah, you were very close, uh, which... I was kind of surprised about that. Debian 9.5 well, coming I in. Think, think about this. The, the, the Debian design philosophy is if it's not broke, don't fix it. And so we've had a long, long, long time <laughs> to get it right on Debian, right? <laughs> if it's on Debian, there should be no reason Debian doesn't perform well. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. What I would really be interested in seeing, I would be interested in repeating that test after one year of use on both platforms, because I think maybe out of the gate, Windows might have some competitive advantages, but I think one of the reasons that Windows users typically don't like Windows, and one of the reasons that us Linux users typically perpetuate the, 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 you know, we perpetually talk about the advantages of Linux, is because that after that machine has been in use for six, seven, eight, nine months a year, now all of a sudden that Windows machine is slower than molasses in January, and that, win, and that, that Linux true. machine, you know, looks like a fighter jet. Yeah, exactly. I had, a, I had a friend of mine who was uh, like wanted my advice for getting a laptop, and they, they wanted to use Linux for the old laptop before they moved on to get a new laptop. But by the time they got to the new laptop, they decided to just use Windows. And they were like, should I, should I get it for this particular, you know, this functionality in this laptop and just, this, you know, whatever? And then within six months, they were complaining about Windows being terrible, and they were complaining about the uh, the, the functions that they paid like $50 to $100 more just to get broke. 
and didn't work anymore. But if you ran Linux, the the function would work. It's like sure. you know, that, it gets that, slower and slower and slower. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh, like, that is a really things. good point, uh, Noah. That I didn't think about all the years I supported Windows machines. That was always the case, right? You get right. a brand new computer out the box, everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. Six months from then, it's slower than dirt. Nobody can figure out why. And I got so many support calls from friends even back then. Why is my computer running so slow? Why is it so slow? So yeah, that's a big deal. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting is, uh, so Debian and Manjaro were one about 16% of the time. They were kind of tied there. Ubuntu 18.10 was in first, uh, compared to four wins with older Ubuntu 18.04.1. So basically what they're saying here is Ubuntu 18.10 did not perform as well as 18.04.1. That makes sense. Well, it doesn't to me because you're on a later kernel, but maybe they haven't worked out all the quirks yet. Well, it's mainly because I would I would assume it's because they put they put most of the, the effort they did in 1804 was to clean up what 1710 was, and then 1810 they had to do a lot of they were doing a lot of extra new stuff. So 1804 is like here's a massive push to clean up the current code and to make it more stable and to perform better and stuff like that. Whereas the iterative releases in between the LTSs is more like let's try something new, let's see what can what we can do with it kind of thing. So hmm. like there might be some kind of issues where just because the code hasn't been optimized enough, that, that might be why. Very interesting. So, but 18.10 is also in the news. So that's convenient. If you want the Good best timing. performance, maybe it's not uh, the time to switch yet, but maybe it is if you're not just looking for frame per second hunting, right? Yeah. Well, it depends on what, what you're looking for in your distro anyway, because if you want the latest, uh, the latest kernel, latest support like that, it, it does make sense to use 18.10. But with the they're coming like 18.04.2, I think is when they're going to activate the hardware enablement by default. Uh, mm. At that point, you could just use 18.04 and use snaps and flat packs and stuff like that and not have to worry about getting the latest thing because your kernel would update and stuff like that. So it depends on what you're wanting. So like if you want the latest like design, like the first time that Ubuntu has changed their design for their interface and I have no idea, seven years <laughs> or so, you know, the, the ambiance theme has been replaced with the Yaru theme and some other stuff yes. like uh, they got new icons and stuff like that. So there's, it's really, it's, it is, it does look nice. So it's, it's, uh, if you're into that kind of thing, that would be a good option for you. And it's, they also got a new version of GNOME and things like that. But they, they did decide to keep back Nautilus. I think it was 3.26 they kept because mm. that was the last version that had desktop icons. And if they were to upgrade to the newer version, they would lose that ability. So they decided to keep back that particular version. Uh, so that the, you know, it is at a, it is a nice release. I'm not sure if it was if it's necessarily much better than the 1804 version, but you know if you're looking to get the latest version of GNOME, that's an option for you. Very cool. So anybody checked out 18.10 already? I mean, I haven't te- technically tested out the Ubuntu version of 18.10, but I've tried the Kubuntu and the Lubuntu versions, and those are really good. I, was, I mean, of course, the Kubuntu version of, I tried. Well, everybody expects that, but Lubuntu has a lot of cool. Uh, changes that are coming in that version uh the they changed their interface their desktop environment is no longer lxde it's lxqt which is mm-hmm. a very nice um, implementation they still probably need a little bit of work to you know polish it up so i'm glad that they they did it like right after the lts so the next lts is going to have all that in there so i, I look forward to the future for you know lubuntu because i think they're going to be like a, a really good uh you know a big player in the in the space of like lean but also modern 
desktop environments. Yeah. And, you know, if you talk to Simon Quigley, the release manager, I think what he would say is that they are trying to restructure Lubuntu to be more of a player in that general desktop purpose Linux sphere, mm -hmm. yeah. right? They, they have tried to move because the, the reality was Lubuntu for a long, long time was the light, lean, mean machine that you used on your computer that was 15 years old. And what you're finding is yeah. that even machines that are 10 years old today have drastically more power than the computer's that are 20 years old had 10 years ago, if that makes any sense. Right. Yep. And true. so they're, they're trying to, they're trying to keep up with the times. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the fact that they're still using 32 bit is, is cool because of the fact that the, they all, they, they said like to the community, if you want us to keep using 32 bit, you're going to have to help, have to help us test it. And right. they just said, like, here's that's, that's the deal. If you want us to keep doing it, you need to help us test. And they did. And that's a, that's a, you know, the fact. Well, look, in my two years of Linux, when I started out and people were telling me when I was doing, oh, you got to try this distro, this distro, Lubuntu never came up ever. Nobody ever said, go try Lubuntu. Now, mm -hmm. all the time, people are yeah. on my channel. Hey, have you tried Lubuntu? Have you tried the changes to Lubuntu? Have you looked at Lubuntu? Our Telegram group the same way. What they've done worked. Right. Well, what they've done worked. I'll tell you what I see. Having covered stuff like this for a long, long time now and haven't had a front row seat to a lot of this, what you find is the distros that do it very well, the distros that garner a lot of respect and have a lot of energy, have a very passionate leader behind them. And so anytime you find a really successful distro, chances are the reason it's successful, granted, there's a good 80% of that that comes because it's well coded. But part of yep. that, part of inspiring developers to do good development work comes from the fact that you have very energetic, passionate people behind those projects. Absolutely. Yep. And, exactly. and Simon different. would definitely count as one of those. Yes. Oh, very much so. But, you know, there's other, there are plenty of other examples, too. Take a look at the UbiPorts people, right? That's the, the OTA5 releases out. And the Ubi, uh, the UbiPorts team has announced that they're, uh, they're releasing the, new, uh, the newest update for mobile devices with the new release. Um, this is going to be uh, packaged with the official 1604 version and counts as the fifth overall uh, error update. They're switching from the Oxide web engine to the new QT web engine browser. Question for you guys, if either one of you know this, why are you laughing? Yeah. Well, he's I'm laughing because oh, he's, he's, he's up the phone as you're talking about it so people who are watching the video can see this is the latest 16.10. It's beautiful. Let me ask you something. Does this new QT web engine, does it still identify it as an iOS device? I haven't tried that, but I don't think it would. So if, you, if you go to the uh, user agent, like just Google... Uh, Google search user agent or DuckDuckGo search if you're if you're not not a barbarian. Um, so uh, you search for the user agent, agent and uh, it'll tell you like if it's connect, if it's detected whether it's detected as iOS or not. The, every time I have used the UbiPorts, there are two things that drove me nuts. One is that as far as I know, they still don't have support for the navigation thing, which is frustrating. But the second thing is that everything identifies it as an iOS device. So anytime you go to look for an app or something like that, it always tries to redirect you to the Apple Play Store. And I think it was, yeah, it was really frustrating. Maybe they fixed that. Granted, I have not used it. It in says probably your user year, agent so. is Mozilla 5.1 Linux Ubuntu 16.04 like awesome. Android 4.4. Awesome. Nice. That is yep. great. That's fantastic. So it's so that, but as, as talking, talking about people that are passionate, right? Here's another example. There's a bunch of canonical said we're going to dump it. And a lot of people said, no, that's a project I'm really passionate about. I want to continue to develop it. I think there's a need here. Now, there's a lot of us out there that went, listen, knock yourself out. I probably am going to just stick with Android, but it's really cool that you're doing that thing. And if it ever yeah. gains any traction and gains any market space, we're all there for you. Yep. I agree. I, I actually I am that. so excited about this because I hate Android. I hate that Linux yeah, people too. like Android. I mm -hmm. it just bugs the 
the tears out of me because mm -hmm. we have two terrible options, iPhone or Android, as far right. as main players. This is very neat, and it, it, but it's still a niche product, right? You have, it's a Nexus 5. Not many people carry around older phones or just a few of the devices that they have, although they have some more device support coming out for like OnePlus One BQ, or it's already out, BQM10 and the Fair phones and things like that, but it's still a niche product. I am so excited for the day we can have true Linux on a mobile device and not be compromising our privacy, which we refuse to do on our desktop, but seem to be right. okay with on our right. phones. Which makes no <laughs> sense because more, there's we, more information on their phones probably than the desktops yeah. anyway. Think about this, guys. It's the only device that we as geeks are okay giving up administrative access to. You don't have, for the most part, when you buy an Android device you don't or an iPhone, you don't yeah. have administrative control over that device. And we as users are like, Meh, whatever. It helps us from doing anything bad. Nobody would buy a laptop that the manufacturer wouldn't give you the root password to, exactly. right? Like we just wouldn't do that. And yet somehow we accept it on our phones. It's, it's mildly ridiculous. And like Michael said, we, most people, I'm probably an exception, but most people have more screen time on their phones and on their tablets than they do on their laptops. Absolutely. Yeah. And more, more information that they need to keep private. And it, it shocks me, honestly, because honestly, given the two, Apple is far more privacy in mm -hmm. privacy uh, focused sure. given the two. But tell, if you're but going to have a, a, a Android device, then root it, root it and put something in there that can, that actually will keep your, and Michael, what's the one you used before? I keep always forget its name. I know it's by Purism. It's, is it? No, that's the pure OS is probably Purism. You're oh. talking about probably lineage OS. Lineage OS. Yeah. That's the one you used to use on your yeah. Android device. When, I had, that, when my phone, when my phone didn't collapse on itself because the Nexus five is a great phone until it breaks and it's <laughs> utterly broken forever. So like, I ordered right. some Ting SIM cards and I'm going to put them in this device and I'll probably do some videos on it and actually try to use this for a while as a phone and see what I miss out on. Because I'm really curious with the apps they have on here, like Telegram and everything else, I feel like maybe at this point, it's actually good enough where I know there's going to be some compromises, but I could use this as a phone for business purposes yeah. and see how well it works. So I mean, I'm one thing I can find out so far that I could think of mainly is like maps or something. Well, it does have a GPS uh, application in there as well. But again, I'll have to play with them, try them, see how well it works. Because okay. I am somebody who gets lost everywhere. I'll get lost in a McDonald's parking lot. So I need <laughs> GPS pretty bad. So there you go. Um, speaking of uh, the controversial Google here, Chrome OS moves Linux apps into the stable channel. So I've, I did a video on this. I got a Chromebook uh, back when they first announced that they're going to have Linux support and went through there and set up some Linux apps and thought, this is kind of cool. I was very excited about the idea because I thought, while I don't like Google and their privacy invasive tactics and all of this stuff, at least more people will get exposed to open source applications who have a Chromebook because I know Chromebook's a hot seller. I know even in schools, Chromebooks are what they're putting on the school mm -hmm. list to say your kid needs a Chromebook. Uh, to do their homework. So it has a big market and it's very locked down what you can do with a Chromebook until you add Linux on top of it. So I was kind of excited to see that now this isn't something where you have to kind of hack around on your Chromebook, put it in developer mode, and then you can put Linux apps in that now this is an option officially moved into the settings. So still, still beta. You just go to settings, click uh, enable Linux apps, but I'm conflicted. Google has done nothing recently, but proven they are, completely unfocused on privacy could care less about their their users you are their product is this a good thing overall for linux or not i argue it is 
I argue it is because there is no such thing as bad press. And what you'll find, what you find with most Linux users is you sit them down in front of a computer and the first thing they ask is, can I use it? Can I find the things I want? Okay, I found Google Chrome. Okay, I found Firefox. Okay, I found Thunderbird. Now I can at least get my work done. And what you find time and time again is those users keep coming back for more. Well, now I want to do some video editing. Now I want to do some photo editing. How do I do this? And if you can get them situated in a simple, straightforward environment where they can get started using Linux, what you'll find is when you say, all right, we just got to wipe the machine, put Ubuntu proper on there, they're going to go, okay, as long as I can find all the things, I'm cool with it. So it's, I think it's a really great transitional step. And the reality is, I think that there is, Google has a vested interest in making Linux apps work on Google Chrome. And I think the reason for that is because I think they look around their own facility and go, we make a Chromebook and everyone around here is using MacBooks. <laughs> Why is that exactly? Oh, because we don't have the development tools that we need to get the job done. So they all have to SSH back into their Linux boxes. Well, yeah. What if we just made those tools available on the Chromebook? And I think that's where you're going to see the, 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 the push from Google. But I also think you're seeing a push from software application manufacturers that, or software publishers that look up and say, listen, we could write a desktop native app or we could write this thing in Electron or we could write this thing for the web. And then it works on everything. Yeah. And I think you're going to see more and more uh, manufacturers say, yeah, we're going to go that route because it's easier to update. It's easier mm -hmm. to prevent pir piracy. And it works everywhere. People can use it on a MacBook, on a Linux, on a Chromebook, on whatever. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And I mean, I think there's a good, a good point. And I do think that this is overall a good thing. I, I would kind of, I would still hesitate to say people should get a Chromebook, even with these func this functionality, mainly because of there's still, you know, there's still the privacy issues and those, those security concerns that, sure. you know, Google, Google is admittedly multiple times have said that they are tracking the things you do. So, um, I don't. I wouldn't suggest it, but the people who are getting it anyway, like for example, the schools forcing kids to use the Chromebooks, mm -hmm. it could be a way to transition them into learning. You know these different new apps that they are like, oh, I can use this uh, graphics editor on my Chromebook. That's cool and stuff like that. So I think it's it's a it, it's a good thing in that sense. So overall, and it's uh, not really any yeah. cheaper, honestly. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's some, you can get a laptop from like uh, Acer, Toshiba and all kinds of different, uh, Samsung even that are around like 250, 350, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And it's, and they're really pretty good laptops and for the price. And they're probably Once more. Once you take Windows 10 off of them. Yeah. They, you take right. the Windows 10 part <laughs> off for sure. They're uh, hardware wise. They are, yes. they're in most cases, they're more powerful than the Chromebooks anyway. So the Chromebooks, you can get one that's like 150, but it's not really worth getting. And they, and I'm pretty sure they wouldn't even like those those levels of the Chromebooks wouldn't even support Crostini yet anyway. So like it may be in some day, but they did say that there's going to be some level of Chromebooks that won't have support for Crostini at all. So you know we'll see what happens yeah. there. But I mean overall, I think it's probably a good thing. Uh, but I, I'm still never going to get a Chromebook. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but unless you're giving a presentation on Caden Live. Yes, then you that's the only thing he brings. Speaking of which, <laughs> since you're gonna be a part of the self next year, is my is my talk gonna actually work? That's there you go. As part part of the thing that makes the, the only way Shots I work fired. with people, and you you know this, <laughs> right? You know this. The only way I'm gonna work with somebody, certainly the only way I'm gonna give of you know, you know, donate and all those kinds of things, is if that group is using Linux. Right. So yes, if I'm responsible for doing something. Air machine I touch is going to have Linux on it. Okay, yeah. good, good. Stock <laughs> Linux. There will be no wind blows nonsense. 
Yeah. I love it. For those who are not aware, I did a talk at the uh, self a few months ago, like four or five months ago, roughly. And uh, it did not go very well. My computer did not support the projector that they were using. And I had to basically borrow a Chromebook from an audience member in order to demonstrate what I wanted to talk about. And it was a uh, very interesting uh, Considering situation. all the technical difficulties that were going on at that moment, the fact that you kept people in that room, <laughs> that when people were leaving, they were all still hitting thumbs up, I was, and yeah. you were still able to educate them what you wanted to, maybe not as good and you know smooth as you wanted to, yeah, you still got good. your points across, was quite amazing. You really yeah. did a great job, and I, I hate saying that. it because I don't like you, but yeah. otherwise... <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I kind of wish, like, because I was on that side of the of the presentation, I kind of wish they would they would upload the video, just even though it's going to be terrible, just so I could watch it. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll see. Well, anyway, but um, another thing that was actually really good recently is that we last last week we talked about we talked to Liam about um, well not last week I'm sorry we talked to Liam about uh, a couple weeks ago that a com- uh, a company was doing a Kickstarter for a game and they were mm-hmm. unable to complete that game. So they decided to release the source code for the the game they're doing. So the community could, you know, take the source code and do whatever they wanted to with it. Uh, this is a really interesting because it's very similar, but instead of a game, it's a nuclear reactor. So yeah, it went open source. Yeah, that went open source. So Transatomic wow. decided to like they they were closing their their startup, but they decided to release the code for their, their reactor uh, as an open source project. So that that's just amazing. I mean, well, that sounds super dangerous the way you said it. Technically, yeah, what right. they did is they researched that they released their research into because you know you probably wouldn't want all the code that runs a nuclear. I mean, reactor. you wouldn't. Hey, kids, wouldn't. here's what you could do on a Saturday. Night. <laughs> well, the code to, the code to do a, a reactor is different from the blueprints to build one. So, but, oh yeah, okay, fair enough, fair enough. So, I mean, this is really awesome. I know it's not technically Linux news, but it's open source news, and the fact that they open source this is the same advantage we talk about open source. Now you can get a community of people from all different backgrounds and education levels going in here and potentially contributing or discovering or finding a new idea, a new way of creating energy, a new way of powering the world because they've taken all of this instead of just taking their ball and going home here where our company didn't work. It stinks. We tried to do this different type of reactor, a molten salt reactor, different take on it. It didn't work out for us here, here world. Here's everything we learned. Maybe somebody else can do something with it. I think that's awesome. It was very cool. That's very, and again, goes back to that central community aspect, right? Yep, absolutely. So Noah, have you been playing Proton? I, I have, here's the thing. I'm not much of a gamer. I, it's, it's a running joke for those of that know me in the community. I'm not much of a gamer, but I have been following Proton very closely because Proton has such a tie to getting people on mm-hmm. Linux. Yes. And Proton Beta 3.16-2 is out for Valve. Um, it's been released for Steam, which has some nice improvements. <clears throat> Expanding Steam Play on Proton. Some of the improvements include uh, DXVK, which is, again, is a Windows DLL, but due to incompatibilities with the Steam runtime, this should fix, fix widespread crashes with Direct 3D 11 titles. Um, I think this has some major, major ramifications and huge benef- upside benefits to trying to get 
uh, a large portion of people that probably would be Linux users otherwise onto Linux. I'd say that's probably the number one thing that I run into when I'm trying to convert somebody or trying to get somebody to try Linux for the first time. It's one of two things. Either there's one weird application that's esoteric, like, well, I have to update my Microsoft Zoom. And, and it's like, nobody uses that, right? And, but but that's, that's one example. The other uh-huh. thing, though, which is far more widespread, which is I want a game. I want to play games. I want to play good games, AAA yep. titles. And I think that it's a necessary component for, I think there's three things that play into it. I think it's a necessary component for Google to launch their cloud-based gaming service. Mm -hmm. I think it's a necessary component for Valve to launch their console-based gaming thing. And I think it's a necessary component for Valve to start to own the infrastructure on which those games run. So for those three reasons, I think this has a very large potential to succeed and bring a lot of people to Linux in the process. I yeah, absolutely I agree. agree. Yeah, this is one of the most important projects that's happened since I've been in Linux, only because in all those videos that I did in the 30 days and converting people to Linux, there were always the holdouts that were like, hey, I love everything you've sold me, except I can't game, so I'm not ready yet. Then I released the video the day Proton came out to show people, and a lot of people were commenting on that video. All right, you finally sold me. I'm coming to Linux. So this has moved a whole new group of people into Linux and allow us to show off the power of Linux and playing new games. In this patch alone, the fact that Steam is rolling out patches so quickly on this, I mean, have you guys noticed every single week there's a new Proton release that's coming out? The fact that they went stable within like two or three weeks, like from the announcement, it was was shocking because most of the time when you announce something, when the company announces a beta, like Google, for example, it's there for five years. So yeah, yeah and they're bringing nice. new developers in on it again. That one individual yeah. from FXAA Audio, I probably just butchered the yeah. name. I don't remember what it was, but it is FNA, now officially I think. FNA maybe yeah. working for them. And, and so they're bringing in additional developers. So not only are they releasing like crazy, but I think the company's continuing. They're, they're not falling back or just waiting. I think they're seeing the hype behind it, the movement. And they are executing on it because every week we're getting new games. So this patch, you get Bioshock, Dark Souls 3, Evil Within improvements and improvements on Assassin's Creed Odyssey. All, even if you're not a gamer, you've heard those titles before. All major games, all big improvements. Steam Proton's awesome, man. I love it. Near Automata is my game. When when Near Automata came out for Proton, that's just that's been it for me. So yeah. I think it's uh, really cool because they made they made the ability to use like play games through Wine so much more simple than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's such a, a game changer. Pardon the pun, but. Uh, <laughs> Noah, I actually have seen a game that you might like and might yeah. try, even if it, even if you're not addicted. a gamer. Yeah. Okay. Not 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 the one you're thinking. Actually, Gummy's okay. Life you might want to play because how ridiculous. Oh, I was I was thinking you were going Gummy's Life with him. But you, it's it's I found one that's even more ridiculous that so utilizes Proton. Can well, it's I, not can more. Can I no scope somebody one v one? You can yes, kill their. You gummy actually bear. can. It's okay. called Hard, Stick Hard. Fight the game. Really. You're a stick man, and you fight each other as other stick man, and you can get guns, and you can like just kick people off platforms. It is, <laughs> that sounds awesome. It's ridiculous and awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it and it it recently got support like a couple weeks ago through Proton. So like yeah, it's such a ridiculous game, and it's it's incredibly fun. Like if you just watch a video of it, you're like yeah, I'm in. So we're not doing the gummy life challenge where we play the gummy kill each other game, and whoever wins gets to eat real gummy bears in real life. We're going for Stickman game. Is that what I'm hearing, Michael? No, I'm saying we're going to do both. Okay, good, good deal. Yeah. I didn't want to lose out on my gummy bear. No, we're going to make sure we do both. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, there's one more game in our news, and then we'll get into our software spotlight and tip and trick of the week. That game is Descenders. Now, if you're not a, if you're into extreme downhill, uh, downhill free riding bike simulating games, which may not ex- ex- be excitable for everybody unless you're a bike rider, um, what does make this game exciting for Linux is that number one, it's a native port, and number two, 477 very positive reviews on it. Number three is that now they have multiplayer support. So any game becomes instantly funner when you're playing it with friends. So even if you're not into biking and extreme sports with biking, I think this is a really cool idea and actually made me, who have no interest in a regular non-electric bike, uh, interested in playing this game. Have you checked it out? I haven't checked it out yet, but I do uh, I, I do like the idea of the game. And if it like when I first saw it, when they first announced it, I didn't care because it didn't have multiplayer but now that it does i actually i am pretty i am interested now especially uh because it's like the, the it's a different type of game like a downhill racer has been around for a while but this is a, an interesting approach to it but the multiplayer is kind of like a requirement for me these days yeah i mean i probably need to get on a bike in real life but this makes it so much easier it's cleaner <laughs> uh there's no sunburn it's just perfect for a game that is there. the worst uh, that's the worst uh, part of riding a bike is the sunburn for sure <laughs> i have this like year-round tan thing going on so i don't know what y'all are talking about <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're safe from that not so much us like so, we'll give us a good software spotlight yep, here. So week. we're, we're going to go ahead and jump to the software spotlight section. And this one is something that's actually new to me, um, but it looks really promising. And that is Glances, which is a cross-platform system monitoring tour. T- t- tool. There you go. That's tour. the word. That's the Take word I wanted to say. Too, if you wanted to, it's, you could t- you could tour around all this all of your system if you wanted to. Yep, with this tool. I said it that one that time right. But this was a really interesting thing because of how many features it has and how like how much options it do you can but what's really cool is that it's a very very nice featureful and also nice looking terminal application that you can even use as on in a website and in mobile through the web through the web ui so yep. it has a, a ton of power that could potentially you know be like a, a one-stop shop for well, not just but you know. stuff. Yeah, I like this tool a lot. The, there is some weird thing happening with the tool, which is why you said for the, I think you used the words once it's ready or some, a little bit of quirks there, uh, where for whatever reason, when you're running Zoom, it shows it even on my Ryzen 7 2700X, 32 gigs of DDR4 RAM using 81% of my CPU, which I know is wrong. There's no way it's using anywhere near that because other services show it's almost using nothing. It's something with Zoom because it did the same thing on my laptop. Every other application I'm looking at gives me the correct percent. I don't know what's going on with Zoom that causes it to do that. Uh, But Zoom seems to freak it out. But outside of Zoom, all the other applications that I've tested here show you a fantastic real-time display of your CPU memory usage and everything else. Like, for instance, right now on Arch KDE running Zoom recording all of that, I'm using 7% overall of my CPU, which is exactly what you would expect with this kind of machine, and 10% of my memory. So, um, you know, but it's very cool because you just hit the number pads and you can switch the layout and looks of what you're monitoring and what you're looking at and get different graphs on the various options there. So again, this tool may need a little work with something with Zoom, uh, why it's not registering Zoom. So there may be other applications don't register 100%. Uh, but otherwise, what the work that they're doing here is the starting point for something I think really cool. And that's why I want people to check it out. Oh, yeah. I understand you guys have been talking a lot about snaps the past couple of weeks. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> we have. So here, so here's the thing. When Michael, when you sent me a message, you said, "Hey, maybe uh, you know, look at we've been talking about snaps. Take a look at that. See if there's something that you don't that you don't think people may know about snaps or, or haven't used snaps." There are two things that nobody told me about snap packages, and they're they're fairly simple things. But if you've never used snap packages before, I think these are the one of the two most useful commands that that you need. The first is snap changes. Snap yes. changes will tell you what has changed inside of the snap. So if you want to know something's updated, if you want to know something's been modified, something stops working, you want to know why, or maybe it works better, you can go look. And the second thing is snap list, which will show you which snap packages are installed. Let me explain why that's particularly useful, particularly to somebody like me who is new to snaps and had all of his programs already installed with the normal package manager. I would go to launch Minecraft. Now, the snap version of Minecraft at the time that I used it was broken and wouldn't launch. The regular one did, but I could never <laughs> tell what, what was actually installed with the snap packages or the regular from the regular package manager because when you launch it from the launcher, the icons look the same. So snap list will let you do that. So that, that would be my tip of the week. Very good nice. tips of the week. And it's funny how many times I, I look through snaps and doing research that there are commands that I didn't know exist like snap revert and things like that, which I just, you know, I guess it just never came across my radar. But the funny thing I, or the great thing about snaps is they're so easy, the commands, like mm -hmm. when you're, when you're literally saying type snap revert, that's it. There's no 15 yes. line, uh, 50, you know, 50 character line item you have to you fill don't have in. You know where the source is and stuff like that. Not the package. args. Right. And even in their find <laughs> command, if you do snap find and then you do quotation marks for what you want to find, like media players, it will search for any media player uh, based application. So a very simple search that makes sense versus some of these ones where you have to use special characters and everything else to designate what you're or searching for. Or they just assume like, that you have to know the package name and stuff like that. Exactly. It's just so simple, these commands. Snap revert, snap find, snap info. And Michael, you like the channels thing, right? You were talking oh, yeah. about I, that. I, I love the idea of using that. Like, the reason I love snaps is, um, well, I mean, I love all of the universal formats. I think they're, like, the, the idea itself is fantastic. So I'm, I'm super happy for that they exist. But the reason I think that snaps have like such a huge potential is because they have the different versions that you could try. So if you want to install a snap, you can, and that'll give you the regular stable version. But if you want to go into like the, the latest developer versions, you can actually install the beta versions, the snap, ver the edge version, and the candidate version. So like yeah. it's stable, and then the next version is a, can a release candidate. And then there's the beta, and then there's the edge. So if you want the absolute latest version, if you want to help them test their software, you can use the edge version. What's another really cool thing is that there's some of these snaps have this uh, functionality where they have confinement, and some of them don't. So the the, fun the confinement is a is a great part of snap system, but some of them they don't really work that well with confinement. So they have to like you know either they don't release it at all, or they use something called the classic confinement. So the classic snap. Uh, has very little confinement, but it also makes it integrate with the system a lot more, similar to how a dev does. Um, but what's really cool about Snaps is if you install a application through Snap and it does require Classic, it will have a, like a pop-up notification that says, are you sure that you want to install this? Because this is a Classic Snap, and if you do, go ahead and just add like uh, tac tac Classic at the end of the, the, yep, I've the seen Snaps that. install. So that's a really cool approach to do it. So they, they let you know what I type of confinement I actually didn't know that's everything. what that was for. So that was educational to me there because I've seen that before come up to do the dash dash Classic, but didn't, under, didn't really ever take the time to research what that was telling me. That's mm -hmm. awesome. There you go.
All right. Well, that is the end of our show. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us, watching, listening, however you do it. Thank you so much. Noah, it was everything I hoped it would be and more. You are awesome. You came in at a minute's notice. You are such a professional. You can uh, jump in here and just do the show with us. Thank you for agreeing to jump in and co-host. I, I, really I appreciate you guys having me. It's, it's, it's always an honor to come hang out with a couple Linux nerds. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Uh, everyone needs to go check out the Ask Noah Show if you not already. Most of you probably know it, but asknoahshow.com. Go check it out, and you can check out the live shows as well and get your tech questions answered there. So definitely uh, check out that show. And if you want to give us some comments or feedback on the show, tell us how much you love Noah. I know you will. You can do that at comments at destinationlinux.org. You can talk to us in our Telegram group, our Discord. We've got it all. Every social media link you could imagine out there, Michael set up for us because he's a yep. marketer and that's what he does. Yep. It's, just, it's, um, it's a habit. I have to do it. Otherwise, it's just, <laughs> I just have, a, I have an issue if I don't. So he's, here's the thing. He's modest about that. He's being modest about it. But here's the truth. Because I've seen this. He'll be like, here, want to get 20,000 views on a video? Let me show you how we can. And I'm like, <laughs> how do you do that? <laughs> he, he is magical. He's a marketing genius. So much genius. effort into it. Yeah. 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 I, I, don't, I don't want to toot my own horn or anything, but uh, beep, beep. <laughs> well done. There we, there we go. So, we got the light bulb for you there. Yeah, Michael. exactly. <laughs> light bulb. So if you do want to send us, you know, send us a message or follow us on social media and stuff like that, you can uh, go to destinationlinux.org/contact, and that'll be, you can find all the different things of Discord, Telegram, things like that. Uh, Mastodon, of course. If you're, if you're, if you also like to toot your own horn. Uh, so, so, well yeah. done, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> all so, right, everybody, have a great week, and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks everyone.